You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are so glad to see you. We're glad you're here at Calvary. So when I was in the ninth grade, uh, that's when I moved from Boston to South Florida and to Miami in particular. And when I say Miami, I'm not talking about outskirts. I'm talking about like Flagler, Miami, just so you can understand kind of the culture shock that I was dealing with uh, from moving from Boston my whole life. And, uh, but I was, so I had just was turning 14 when I moved to uh, Miami. And you know how, once again, I come from a Cuban family and you know how um, in, in our culture, there's like people that you're not related to, but then you think you're related to. They're like, oh, that's my uncle. And then you're like, oh, you find out like, hey, how does that? Oh, you're not related at all. You just knew each other from Cuba. And then, you know, so there's like that kind of family. And so anyway, so I have an aunt and uncle that are like that. And so they, uh, for my 14th birthday, they bought me this, uh, this gold chain, uh, which was really nice. I mean, like, you know how, let me explain it this way. You know how you give someone a gift and it's uh, or, or like for birthday or Christmas or, or whatever, but it is kind of, it, it, it is representative of the level of relationship that you have. And you don't want to go under that. You certainly don't want to go over that. And so they bought me like this really nice, thick gold chain, which was like, wow, we've only met like four times and yet we're here. And so anyway, so it was, you got to understand it was the late 80s and I was ninth grade trying to make a good impression. So I had like the button down shirt, like open I wanted to show off the four chest hairs that I had at 14. I had my Edwin jeans that I was rocking hard. And, uh, and then, and I already had a smaller gold chain that I used to wear with now the larger gold chain. So I had like this Miami Vice slash pimp thing happening that I was working or was working me, who knows. Uh, so anyway, so, but then I noticed, and I, I mean, I wouldn't take it off. I mean, I just, I liked this kind of look. So, but one, one morning, I'm getting ready for school, and I noticed something was happening. And I'm like, dude, I'm getting sick. So I'm, I go to my mom, and I'm like, hey, listen, I'm having some kind of problem because my neck, I'm starting, my whole neck is green. I think I'm turning into the Incredible Hulk. And so, uh, and then my mom told me the sad reality that that super cool gold chain was not actual gold. And that's when I learned about this is back, I don't know if they still do this, but you know how back in the 80s, you could buy gold by the yard. Like the gold, like, I don't know what you would do. Like, you know what I need is a three foot long gold chain. I don't know who in the world needs that kind of solution to their problem, but that's what it was. And that's, and here, here, here's the thing, right? Is that when real life interacted with that chain, that's when we found out it was not genuine. And that's pretty much the way that it works with anything, and that is that when, when whatever it is that we think is real interacts with real life, that's when we find out if it's real, if it's genuine, or if it's false. Sometimes you fall in love and you think it's real, and then you find out the other person doesn't quite think the same way that you thought or felt, and, and now, once again, it interacts with real life, and then you start thinking, well, that turned out not to be real. Sometimes you invest in friendships, and that person wasn't really your friend. They were just maybe kind of using you, and, and it's like once that that idea gets bumped up against real life, 
That's when you find out if it's real or not. There's people that make promises to us only to find out that they break the promise. And once again, it, the promises are great, but when the promise gets bumped up against real life, that's what, what happens because everything looks real and felt real and seemed real, but when reality bumped up against it, it turned out to be fake. So if that's the case, when it comes to our faith, the way that we know that our faith is real is when it bumps up against the real world and gets tested by reality. Because if we aren't careful, listen, we can create a faith for ourselves that is very social media friendly, but very, very thin when it comes to genuine connection with God. If our focus is other people's approval or that we can have a faith that either sustains or buckles under pressure because sometimes we might have a faith that's only built for fair weather and not tough seasons or challenging circumstances. Now, here's why I tell you all of this, is because we have been studying the book of Hebrews, which if you're not aware and you're just joining us, that it's probably the most theologically dense book in the New Testament. It was written to a group of Jewish Christians going through a difficult season. They were asking this question, if God loves me, Why is life so hard? And I'm sure we can relate to that. And the answer to that question is this very eloquent and theologically dense letter that serves as an encouragement for them and for us to do the one thing that's going to help when you're going through a difficult season, and that is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And throughout this book, the writer has been telling us in a whole bunch of different ways that Jesus is better than anything else we could put our trust in. And throughout the first 10 chapters of this book, the writer's been telling us that there is this new way to approach God, not one based on rituals and sacrifices, but one that's based on the finished work of Jesus and putting our faith in him. And we're going to be in chapter 11 today, but what's going to make sense for us is for us to kind of uh, step back and take a little bit of a running start into chapter 11 as we look at the end of chapter 10 because he sets up what it is that he's going to do at the end of chapter 10 where he he says this. He says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. When he talks about the writer, he talks about the just living by faith. I want us to understand something, because that begins to set up the conversation that we're going to have today. That faith is not an event. Faith is not a moment in your life. That whatever faith is, according to this, he says that the just live by faith. Faith is a lifestyle. It's how you live your life. And so as we get started, let's define faith. So how, how, do, you, how do we define faith? Simply put, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. And when I say acting, I don't mean like you're making it up. I mean like your actions are proving, are, you're... you're moving and living like God is telling the truth. It's not, faith is not feeling like God is telling the truth because faith primarily is not a feeling. It has little to do with your emotions. It's acting, it's moving, it's living as though God is telling the truth. Uh, Faith isn't just talking about God telling the truth or feeling like God is telling, no, no, no. Faith 
It, faith isn't faith until it hits your feet and you start acting and living and moving like God is telling the truth because at its core, faith is about trust. And the reality is, is that your life will be defined by the level in which you believe that God is telling the truth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And it's really going to serve in some ways as an introduction for the next few messages that we do because we're going to hit this idea of faith and the writer is going to really slow down and give us a history lesson of how people of faith, people that really lived it and walked it and breathed it and endured it and, and uh, just did not give up, th- this, this whole idea of faith is what he wants to really drill home to us. And so we're going to explore the idea of faith in this message and the next few messages because when you're struggling, you need a faith that's unshakable that believes that God is telling the truth. And for these believers who are ready to throw in the towel, this exploration of faith is exactly what they needed to hear. And listen, I'm pretty sure that it's exactly what we need to hear. Because if your 2020 has been anything like everyone else in this room's 2020, then we need to develop a faith that is unsinkable because your present needs it and your future depends on it. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 1, and here's what we read. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. For by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. First thing I want to tell you about faith is that faith enables my life to have purpose. Now, this passage that we just read gets quoted all the time. You'll find it on mugs and calendars and, and all of that stuff. And yet, a lot of times, people have no idea what it means. And yet, we need to because it's so powerful. The idea, he begins to say, he says, faith, that is acting like God is telling the truth, is the substance or literally the foundation of things hoped for. It's the evidence or literally the conviction of things not yet seen. The implication is not that I get an idea and I have an emotional attachment to it and then decide that God is going to do it and I just say, by faith, it's, it, it, it's going to happen. Now, you can think about whatever you want, right? We can think about whatever we want, but that doesn't bind God to it in any way. Real faith is believing that God is telling the truth and I trust in what he has actually said. That becomes the foundation of how I live my life. And he says that 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 believing, what God has said, is how the elders or the heroes of the past obtained a good testimony. It wasn't their declarations of what they thought. Instead, it was their actions based on what they believed that God had already said. And so, now the reality is, is that you and I are living by faith all the time. We just don't really realize it. Now, here's, here's what I mean. Let me, uh, let me grab this real quick as we talk about this, this topic. So, how many of you have ever purchased one of these? That's not a trick question. Uh, all right, very good. Some of you need a little more potassium in your life based on the show of hands. Um, now, but here's what I'm going to say. My guess is that you've actually never purchased a banana. You've only purchased a banana peel. Because have you ever checked? Like before you go, like, honey, can you grab a bunch of bananas? And by the way, check them. The last ones were empty, remember? 
Like, right? No, nobody's ever done that because you've never had that. So you grab the pe- you, gra- you buy the banana peel by faith, trusting that the banana is inside, right? And by the way, anybody want a banana? And those of you, all right, here it comes. You ready? It's coming. Coming in hot. Oh, that was a good throw. And I almost hit my wife. Uh, let me do this over here. All right, very good. Here you go. Look at that. Look at that. Tom Brady accuracy. All right. Uh, and that was a pretty good catch, too. All right. So we're, 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 kinda, we're going on what we got here. All right. Now, who's ever purchased one of these? <laughs> people are recoiling. I'm not an animal, people. All right. So now, let me, let me ask this question. So you've purchased a watermelon. How do you know a watermelon is ripe? Really? Nothing? Okay, where are the moms in the crowd? They'll know. What do you do? You knock on it. And what does it sound like? Huh? Okay, all right. Let me, can I just say back to you what you've just said to me? You just said, if you knock on it and it sounds like it's empty, that's how you know it's ready to go. And that doesn't even make any sense, and yet it's what we do because you understand that by faith, it's right. And by the way, the, the faith isn't like, I hope it's there. That one, it's, it's, faith is the substance. It's the foundation of things hoped for. That throughout your life, you've realized that when I knock on this and it sounds hollow, I can open it up and know it's not going to be empty. So, by the way, who likes uh, water? No, I'm just kidding. I ain't going to do that to you. I I'm not allowed to do that. They'll kick me out of here for doing that. Um, they give me a certain amount of time and they're like, say what you're going to say and then sit down. So that's how this works around here. So anyway, but the reality is we recognize something that everything that God creates, he creates with integrity, that is wholeness. And so that whatever is on the outside is a reflection of what's on the inside. And this is how God wants to create you and me. That is people who believe God internally and it's reflected externally in what we do. This is why compromise is so toxic. Because it ruins your ability for your life, my life, our lives, to be a light to those who are far from God. And once again, what compromise reveals is that at, at our core, we don't really trust or act or believe or live like God is telling the truth. Because faith is not about what we feel. Faith is acting. It's taking a step, acting like God is telling the truth. And this is why verse 3 is so powerful. When he says that by faith, we know that the worlds were, were framed by the word of God. And that is that, uh, that word framed means that they were perfectly joined together. And, and the, so th- what, the reason this is so powerful is he's saying that God the, used the materials we can't see to create everything that we can see. Now, why is the creation of the world the illustration that the writer uses? So, there's a few reasons for that. One is we could say, because he's going to give us a history lesson from the very first people of faith all the way to the current day at this time. So we could say that he started at creation and moved over. That's one way to look at it. Another way uh, is, is, is this, is because there's something that God is speaking about the ordering of the universe. And by the way, when I talk about this, um, there is this kind of idea that goes around that they say, you know, Christians reject science. Let me, can I just say, that's just not true. Um, I had someone, and this is a guy I've known for a long time. He's not a Christian by any means, but he was telling me that. Like, Christians reject science. And, uh, you know, he's an atheist, and so he, he um, lives by science. And I'm like, okay. I said, so can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. 
I said, how many genders are there? What? And the guy's stunned. And I'm like, come on, you're a science guy, right? You believe in science. Scientifically, how many genders are there? And he's like, well, you know, it's not that simple. And, and I'm like, okay, who's rejecting science now? All right, let's move on. So anyway, um, fun conversations with weird people. All right, so, but there's a bigger reason than just giving God credit for creating the world. The reason is this. Why, why is the writer of Hebrews talking about this? Is because if our world is simply a natural process that happened without divine direction, then the world in which we live in has really no purpose. It's just the current form in which it's in, in its ultimate uh, evolutionary development. And if the world that you live in has no real purpose, then your life has no real purpose either. However, if God, through whatever process and whatever length of time, created the world, then he created it with a purpose. And if the world that you live in has a purpose, then guess what? That means that your life has purpose as well. And the purpose of your life is unlocked through faith, living your life like God is telling the truth. And once we establish that as the foundation, he begins to work in looking at the lives of people that are living in this world that God created, who were models for us of faith. And so he says in verse four, by faith, Abel, offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. So if you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you is that faith enables my legacy to continue. Now, the story of Cain and Abel, you can find it in Genesis chapter 4, you can read it at your leisure. But the story of Cain and Abel is kind of a strange one at first glance, because both brought offerings, and one was accepted and the other was rejected. And the question is why? Because Abel brought the right kind of sacrifice. Cain, his brother, brought a, the kind of sacrifice that he wanted to offer, the fruit of his hands, and God rejected that offering. Now, the point is, is this, is that Abel's faith is commended because he brought the right kind of offering. And even to this day, centuries later, we're still talking about the offering, because it's not just about bringing something. It's about doing things the way that God wants them to be done. And a lot of times, listen, we talk about, well, I'm just going to worship God my own way. I'm a Christian, but I do it my own way. My friends, that's not the way Christianity works. We don't set the terms. He sets the terms. And it's, it's like what happened, this is years ago. My daughter Mia is almost 14, but she was three at the time. And we were in our backyard playing wiffle ball. Now, I don't know if you know this about me. I am like, um, I'm like a Hall of Fame wiffle baller. If wiffle ball were a professional sport, I can, I can do all kinds of pitches. And uh, I mean, I, I can throw a sinker, a riser, curveball, screwball. I can do all these different types of pitches. I'm, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm like the Nolan Ryan. If you, know who, you probably don't know who that is. Anyway, he's a famous guy. Uh, so anyway, so I'm, we're playing wiffle ball. I throw a pitch to my daughter, Mia. She absolutely crushes it, right? She has, and I was a little upset by that. But anyway, uh, she crushes it. And uh, she's always had excellent hand-eye coordination. And so, but then after she hits the ball, she runs to third base. And I'm like, no, run, you got to go to first, then second, then third. That's the way this works, right? We, we, we go counterclockwise. And, and she's like, no, dad, this is new baseball. And, uh, and, 
And once again, that's fine when you're three. But if you don't learn the rules, you don't get to experience the fun of playing and the freedom of playing. And listen, there are a lot of moments, if we can be honest, where we just run to third. And, and, and we don't realize that it's hurting us. No, I'm going to do it my own way. I mean, this is, that's, the, that's the Cain way, uh, as opposed to doing it the, the, the able way. Now, so let me explain what I mean. So, and if you'll forgive me for acting like an old guy for just a minute, um, but I'm reaching an, a, a stage in my life where I'm very concerned about the story. And, and I want, let me explain what I mean. Um, the story is the story that my kids are going to tell their kids. It's the story that uh, whoever, you know, 150 years from now when I retire, um, when whoever takes over uh, for me, and whether it's here or in the next building or wherever, and, and they start, someone asks the question, so... Who started this church, and, and what happened to that guy? And that they, they that I, I am, I, I'm, I'm getting to a stage, and I, you know, you don't think about that stuff when you're 20, uh, or even when you're 30, but you get a little closer to, you know, numbers that begin with five, and uh, which is horrifying, um, and yet reality. You start thinking about that, and I start thinking about, you know, what I what I want is my story to be that I, I did the right thing even when it was difficult. Um, and that, and I think that you want that to be the case, right? You want it to be, hey, I did the right thing even when it was difficult. That I was faithful to my family and to my calling and that the people who knew me best love and respected me the most. And so you think about that. And, and so it's one of the reasons why, and I, I, I may have told you this in the past, and if I have, forgive me, there's people who never heard it, so just endure it for them. But um, I, I ask my kids this kind of silly question, um, because and I, I, so every once in a while I'll just say like hey are you having a good childhood I just want to know like how's it going like are we doing all right um and I say that like I was never asked that question growing up because if my parents had asked me that like no I want to talk to the manager of this whole situation because I've got some deep grievances of how this thing is running anyway so but I was never asked that um I was Anyway, too busy being beaten for mild infractions for that. So anyway, so I asked my kids, and I'm like, are you having a good childhood? And, and based on my three kids' personalities is how they respond. So my daughter Mia, uh, I'll say, Mia, are you having a good childhood? Like, of course. Dad, you and mom are amazing. I love you guys so much. Like, what, is something wrong? Are you guys okay? I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I'm just asking if you're okay. Oh, okay. And then my, my son, Xander, who's 11, he's, he's one for grand gestures. So you've got to know that about him. And he has kind of a flair for the dramatic. Uh, and so, you know, whenever he has opportunity, there's a big speech coming. I really don't know where he got that, but here we are. And so, so I'll say, hey, are you having a good childhood? And he'll just, he'll put his hand on my shoulder and he'll say, dad, it couldn't be better. You want to know why? Because you are the best dad that anyone could ask for. My childhood is great because you're in it. And I'm like, all right. You could expect your allowance to be a little heavier this week. That was, that was some good work right there. Now, my eight-year-old daughter, Livy. Now, you gotta, I'm, I'm like feeling good, right? So I'm like, because I, and I'm like, Liv, are, is, are you having a good childhood? She's like, eh, Wi-Fi's bad. 
okay. It's doing so well, and now that's why I have low self-esteem. And uh, now, here's, here's my point, is that Abel's life was a choice, a choice to live by faith and serve God even when it cost him. That was his legacy. And listen, for many of us, if we're being honest, we don't judge ourselves by what we do. We judge ourselves by our intentions. And that's not the same thing. You know, intending to forgive someone and forgiving someone isn't the same thing. You know, intending to serve someone and serving them isn't the same thing. Intending to be generous and being generous isn't the same thing. That's why the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' guys, um, he said it this way, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Uh, Because, and his point is, it's really easy to talk a good game and to feel good about ourselves. But listen, that's just running to third base. It feels good, but it doesn't work. Abel's faith, his life was lived in this belief. God is telling the truth. And that's why we're still talking about him. All right, next person. In verse 5, he says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And if you pause there and give me your attention, the third thing I want to tell you, and that is that faith enables my actions to be rewarded. Now, this verse gets quoted all the time. It's commonly misunderstood because we tend to think of faith as a feeling. It's not. The writer uses Enoch as an example of someone who pleased God. Now, um, if if you want to know more about uh, Enoch as a person, we talked about him for a bit in the series that we did right before Hebrews that was called The Beginner's Guide to the End of the World. And uh, we did a whole message where we talked, we focused in on Enoch for a bit. And so, But we don't know a lot about him. We know that he lived about three generations before Noah. We know that God took him, that he was caught up to heaven. He did not step into eternity in the conventional way that most people do. But what we know is this about him is that he was a prophet. In fact, Enoch, uh, the first prophecy in the Bible is not from Enoch, but the first prophecy that's uttered by a prophet is from Enoch, and it's recorded in the book of Jude, who was the half-brother of Jesus. He said it this way. He says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness, of all their defiant words, ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Listen, the testimony of his life. This is the part that I think is so amazing. What is the thing that summed up Enoch's life, this this prophet? Here's what it says. It's so simple and so powerful. It says this, Enoch pleased God. And I love what the writer does because he assumes that we're going to ask the question, how can I please God? If that was his testimony, that was his legacy that he pleased God, how can I please God? Because the writer says that without faith, without acting and living as though God is telling the truth, It is impossible to please God. Not that it's difficult or challenging. It is impossible. Because anyone who comes to God has to believe two things. Here's the first one if you're a note taker. And that is, you've got to, you have to believe that God matters. You have to believe that God matters. And here's what I mean by that. 
The phrase in verse 6 where he says, you must believe that God is. That means that you believe, you believe that God exists. And now I know a lot of us will check, oh, I believe that God exists, and we check the box off because we're believers. But it's a little bit deeper than that. Have you ever been ignored by someone and, and then say, it's, they act as if I don't even exist? And the problem is, it's not that they didn't believe that you were a person that was part of reality. It's that they didn't believe you mattered. And those are two totally different things. You see, when you believe that God matters in any area of your life, you will defer your opinions for God's wisdom. And you will move based on what it is that he tells you to do. Now, let me explain this um, in a way that we'll definitely understand. Have you ever been driving... And as you're driving, maybe one car moves, there's like, you know, there's some traffic, one car moves out of the way, and then you realize that there is a police officer that's driving right behind you. Have you ever noticed that your driving completely changes at that moment? Right, so it's like you're driving, and then you see the cop car behind you. Immediately, your hands go to 10 and 2. Immediately, you sit up, right? You were driving with a gangster lean before, now you sit up. Now, oh, okay, and then now you slow down and start going the speed limit, right? Some of us, like, set cruise control. Like, I don't even want, I don't trust myself, uh, right? I've got it, you know, you start magically using your turn signals. You weren't even sure if those worked in your car, and sure enough, they do. And so, now, once again, is it, well, I just didn't even believe the cops existed. That's not what you, that, that's not the case. No, it's that nothing matters more in your life than what that police officer thinks about your driving. Right, that's the thing that matters most. Um, have you ever had this happen? Um, and this happens here on Miramar Parkway all the time. Um, you ever, you're driving, and then you see a police officer show up out of nowhere? Like, you ever had this moment where, this is like the best power move ever. I, it's like, I wish I had this ability. Like, cop shows up in the middle of the street, just points. That is like, the coolest thing ever. I want to do that, but I would get run over. Like, uh, anyway, it ain't going to work for me. But, but you know what happens when, when they, like, but a cop shows up out of nowhere, once again, to make sure people are driving. And wh- what happens? Uh, immediately, you're slamming on the brakes. You stop texting. And you're like, I wasn't texting. I was commenting on Instagram. It's totally different. And then, you know, now you sit up. And then you have memory loss. And then he stops you and you're like, he's like, do you know why I stopped you? Oh, no idea. None. You were speeding. Really? I thought I was going 45. This is a school zone. I mean, I was going 15. That's what I meant. And, so, and then when none of that works, even grown men will start crying, hoping it'll get them out of it. You've got to understand. It's just Corona. It's hurt my ability. Anyway, and it's like, oh, I didn't realize it was Corona. Okay, you're good. And... Uh, and it's once again, you, you, you started living differently the moment you decided that they mattered. This is true in every area of your life. This is, what, this is what the writer is saying, that if you want to please God, you have to believe that God is, not just that he exists, but that he matters, and that that's going to influence how you live. Listen, if you ignore God in your marriage, it's not that you've decided that God doesn't exist. It's that you've decided that God doesn't matter enough for you to change doing things your way. If you decide that you're going to ignore God in your financial world, that doesn't mean that you've decided that God doesn't exist. It simply means that you've decided you're going to do it your way. And, and, and the point is, it's impossible 
to please God like that. If you say, well, I'm just going to, I know, you know, God's parenting principles, but I'm going to do it my way. Once again, it doesn't, I'm not saying that you don't believe that God exists. What I'm saying is it's impossible for your parenting to please God. My point is if you want to please God, you have to act like God matters because that is going to change how you live. And the next thing is that you have to believe that God is a rewarder. Because he says this in verse 6, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When God matters to you, you will seek what he wants. And when you seek what he wants, he rewards that. Now let me just tell you, uh, I know everybody loves Jeremiah 29.11. And if you do, enjoy it. Um, Jeremiah 29.13, I think is an even more powerful verse. And here's what it says. It says this, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, the reality is that's, that's not like how we seek God all the time, is it? And what I love is the picture that we get in the Psalms of King David, when he was running from Saul, he, he gives us this idea of what does it mean to seek God. He says this in Psalm 42, as a, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. What's interesting to note is that when a deer is panting, that deer isn't just thirsty. A panting deer is a deer that's dying of thirst. David is saying in the same way that a deer that is about to die would search for water, that's going to be my attitude in seeking you. And listen, here's what I know. In that too often as Christians, here's what we do. We get into a jam and we seek God once. We read the Bible once. We pray once. We seek wise counsel once. And listen, that's not seeking God. That's checking off a box. Seeking God is like, I am going to do whatever it takes to seek God and find out exactly what he wants me to do. So the other day, I decided to take a day off from my eating plan. I don't like to use the phrase cheat day. I don't like to be associated with the word cheating. Probably because I'm a New England Patriots fan. And as you know, we like to keep things on the up and up. And uh, wow, a lot of hostility. A lot of hostility, and yet all of your teams want to hire our coaches. All right. We're going to leave that right there. That's just something I want you to think about. I want you to reflect on that later um, in your life. Anyway, so, let's, so I took an off day, and I just, what I really wanted to eat was Reese's Pieces. Now, I don't know if you know what Reese's Pieces are. I can assure you, if you don't and you buy some, your life will be better. Um, I want you to imagine M&M's, except they're filled with peanut butter uh, instead of chocolate. So anyway, I love Reese's Pieces, and I have in my house a secret stash of them for days like this. The problem is my younger two kids were exploring in the pantry, doing things they weren't supposed to. They're like cleaning. I'm like, stay out of this, you know, and... uh, And so they found my stash and completely wiped me out. And then they're like, Dad, look what we found. Like, wow, guys, that's so weird. You found that? Anyway, so I tell my wife that I'm going to go to the store because, you know, we're always talking about, like, what's on the list. You know, that's if you have that question, hey, what's on the list? So uh, we both have, like, a list going. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to go up to Publix and pick up a few things that are needed. And she's like, Dad, she's like, Bob, you're so tired. Just go tomorrow. And I'm like, no, no, care. It's really my pleasure. You know, never put off tomorrow what could be done today. A wise man said that, maybe even me. Uh, 
So I drive to the store. I drive to Publix. And uh, so I have a list now. I drive to Publix. I go down the candy aisle, and they are sold out. And I am like, we put a man on the moon, and we cannot keep this in stock. No one buys these except me. Anyway, so my problem is, now I got to buy all this dumb stuff I told my wife I was going to buy, which was my ruse to get to Publix in the first place. So now I'm walking around like a moron, picking up all this stuff, and some of these items are frozen. And you know what happens when you've got frozen items? You're on the clock. Because when you're, you get that stuff out to your car, you have precious minutes until the stuff starts melting. So anyway, I get the stuff, and I make an emergency stop at Walgreens. And I'm like, Walgreens, they're, they're always going to be my ace. Because when I'm in a pinch, I just stop there because they usually have a decent candy aisle. So I go there fully stocked. And so I grab two bags, one for now and one to replenish the secret stash, which, by the way, will be in a new spot, uh, possibly in my car. Anyway, so I get the two, and then I, I, I go to get in line, and there is one. Apparently, everyone in the world decided to go to Walgreens that day, and only one person decided to go to work. So there's this one guy working the register who is in no hurry at all to move on with life. And then, and then I got everybody six feet away. So I'm standing where they have like the photo. Who's using the photo thing, by the way? And so I'm standing there with all these people in line and I've got stuff melting. And, uh, and I'm now going to have to explain why that happened. And, and anyway, so uh, I finally get to the front of the line and, I, and I've already prepared my speech. And I'm like, hey man, this is all I want. How much is it? So I get to the front. I'm like, hey, dude, this is everything I want. That's it. Just these two things. How much is it? And he's like, whoa, hold on, bro. Do you have a Walgreens reward card? And I'm like, sir, is it humanly possible that in the year of our Lord, 2020, I could just buy candy without being roped into another reward situation? And he's like, Nah, dude, do you want it or not? I'm like, fine, I'll sign up, but I gotta go. So anyway, I finally pay. Finally get home. And then my kids are like, Dad, these ice cream things, why are they like weird shapes? And I'm like, hey man, Corona, what am I gonna tell you? So when in doubt, you just blame Corona. That's, just, that's a little tip, you know. So that's just, anyway, there's weird things. I'm telling you, you could do demolition on your house and the city comes, hey, do you have a permit? Hey, man, Corona. Like, oh, sorry, carry on. It's all good. I'm telling you, it works on anything. So now, if we would start seeking God the way we seek out our snacks, you know what would happen? We'd find him. And when we find him, he would reward us accordingly. Last thing I want to tell you, and then we're done. Look at verse seven. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, if you pause there, last thing I want to tell you, and that is that faith enables my life to inspire others. Now, the challenge that we have is we've read this story like a million times, and we don't really think about it anymore. That God tells Noah to build an ark. By the way, 90 different cultures 
historically tell the story of one man and his family surviving a flood. And that, which is really cool, but I don't even believe it because of that. I believe it because Jesus talked about Noah and he believed the story. And when you come back from the dead, we're going with whatever you say. That's just the general rule. But I want you to imagine, if you would, because we think about this, like, oh, he built an ark, of course. It just kind of made sense, right? Um, I want you to imagine with me, you show up during the week sometime to Calvary, and my family and I are out in the parking lot, and you see all this metal and welding going on, and, and, and you say, Pastor Bob, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, I want to tell you the vision of the future for Calvary, what God is calling us to do. Like, okay, what is it? We're building a spaceship. We're building a spaceship. We're planning a Calvary on Mars. We're going to be the first ones there to evangelize an entire planet. And then you'd be like, okay, cool. You work on that. We're going to call some very nice people who are going to take you away in a padded van. And uh, now, that's what people thought of Noah until the day it started raining. You see here, my, my point is this, is that a lot of times people will say to me, Pastor Bob, I want more faith. And I usually will say, great, what are you going to do with it? And they don't understand But faith is acting like God is telling the truth. So what will you do with the faith that you want God to give you? Say, well, I'm not really sure what to do. Well, if that's the case, then we better start listening and reading and praying and and, and finding out and say, what is it that you're asking me to do and do I have enough faith to do it? But see, the truth is, is that, and here's my guess, is that you already know what to do. Because in America, we suffer from something, and that is being educated way beyond our level of obedience. And let me tell you what I love about Noah, is that he started building an ark, and that ark had rooms. It had rooms for him, his spouse, his children, and their spouses. And you know what's cool? That he started building those rooms 20 years before his kids were even born. Because he had made a decision that he was going to be saved and that his kids were going to be saved and that his, that his uh, spouse's kids were going to be saved. And listen, parents, what does that mean? That means that we need to inspire our kids to walk with God, to challenge our kids to make sure they make good choices as they walk with him and, 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 and live by faith. See, it's parenting as though God matters and God rewards that kind of parenting. Listen, I really believe that this is God's word for us today in every area of our lives to put Jesus at the center and not saying, well, God, I want you to bless what I'm doing. No, no, no. Instead to say, God, I only want to do what you're blessing because you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And when you do, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find the life that you've been looking for the family that you've been dreaming of, relationships that are life-giving, work that is inspiring and fulfilling. And it's the moment that you invite Jesus into your life. And that's true if you're not a Christian. And even if you are, it's inviting Jesus into your life to say, listen, God, what you want is more important than what I want. And listen, even the parts of our lives that we don't want to invite him into, we need to invite him into. And then watch him bring healing and hope and grace and blessing and peace to it. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that reality. That we can be people of faith, people who live their lives like you're telling the truth. That you matter and that you are a rewarder of those who seek you. 
So God, we pray that you would do that work in us, that we would be people that are marked by our trust, faith, and belief in who you are. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.